Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Good morning, church, and hello to those online and those that will watch us later. Hello to you as well. We are going to start a new sermon series, and uh, this is an unusual one for me in some sense, and that's, I'm just going to move this down here right now, so don't have to hold that, but uh, we're going to be doing an unusual one. We're calling it, uh, well, actually one of our church members went to me the other day and said, uh, hey, pastor, can we please hear John Wesley's sermon? And I said, okay, let's do it. So we are doing John Wesley's. He has a, a, a 53 standard sermons. We're not going to do all 53 today. <laughs> Figured you'd be excited about that. Uh, but we are going to uh, do something I'm going to call it the greatest hits. I know if you're like me, you remember the 80s and you had your tape, right? And you had the, you know, you could record over it. And a lot of times people would make each other mixed tracks, if you will. And, you, you know, this is a cool thing to do. And so we're going to be looking at some of uh, John Wesley's greatest hits, and I should say uh, John, uh, Pastor Jonathan's picks is really what I should say, because some of you may go, Pastor, you missed this great one, or even just some scholar may come to me and say, Pastor, how did you not include this in one of the greatest hits? And I would say, because I only had so many Sundays, and I picked which ones I wanted to pick, and so I want to say that here today. Just a couple words uh, about these uh, sermons as we preach them and uh, remember them here. I'm not going to do them word for word, but I want to try to be as accurate as I can to sort of the thought process that he shared in his sermons. And so uh, if you want to actually hear his words in his own uh, word uh, preach, what you can do is go online and find it and read it out loud, and you'll get a feeling of what that was. Uh, but what I wanted to do here today is preach these, but preach these uh, maybe in my own words and reflect a little bit as well as we go through. I should say, though, I'm going to try to stay good, uh, faithful to the way and his thought process of what he shares. And so just to let you know it, uh, how they kind of did this back in the day when they preached, they would do this kind of thing. They would uh, kind of do a little intro. Then they would kind of tell you kind of big subheading, kind of what they're going to talk about. Uh, they would talk about that. And at the end, they would do a kind of like a, a question answer by themselves, if you will. Or like, you know, some people oppose this idea because of this. And let me give you some thoughts about the opposition of this uh, deal. So in some ways, it almost felt like academic in the world about how we do it. So it may feel a little awkward or a little different. But uh, just go with it. Take yourself back into the day. And we're all going to get, you know, robes on. We're going to get our, our wigs on, you know. We're going to do all that starting next. No, we're not going to do all that. So, uh, but just, just join with me and enjoy it here today. And uh, let's pray together. Lord, as we come to these great works of Wesley, God, help us to once again settle on those things that are so pivotal of faith, Lord, that we want to get them right. As uh, Wesley tried to so well and did so well communicate your truth to the generation that he was part of, this uh, word still comes to us. So as we hear, Lord, today, work in our hearts again, move through what is shared, that, God, we could be ever more faithful to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Well, the first sermon we're going to look at, guess what, is number one of the 53. I know, it's kind of crazy, but uh, the 53 sermons, John Wesley, of course, had many more sermons than that, per se, but he made 53, and he gave it to all his uh, clergy, basically, and all the Methodists of the day, and when they would go around, he said, hey, when you're going to preach something, preach this, right? And what he didn't mean was literally like go out and you know, take it and read it word for word and preach it. What he meant was 
These are the things that are so core. Don't miss them. Don't mess them up, right? Make sure you're preaching these things and preach them and preach them as best you can for the salvation of all and let God do God's work through what is shared. And so this first one is called uh, Salvation Through Faith or Salvation by Faith. It was actually given in 1738 on June 18th at St. Mary Oxford at the university uh, before them. And John Wesley started, and I'll just share with you that he started with this idea, and I want to read this, that all the blessings which God hath bestowed upon man are his mere grace, bounty, or favor, his free, undeserved favor, favor, favor that is, altogether undeserved, man having no claim to the least of his mercies. And just think about that. That God, we have no claim to God's goodness, yet God gives goodness to humanity and all of humanity in so many ways. There's the humanity of creation, of family, of life, and that we experience all these great and gracious things, that all this goodness that comes down to us, none of it is our deserve. None of it is stuff we've earned. And yet God bestows grace upon grace upon us. And in fact, we might ask ourselves when we do sin and we have that sin in our life and death is at work in us, how could we even atone for our sin? Is it by good works, if you will? Could we, could we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do just enough good works to maybe outshine and on that grand cosmic scale of justice, if you will, make sure that our good works outweigh our bad works and thus find a way to God's goodness? No children of God, that is not the case. In fact, if sin could ever be undone, and in fact, if sinful men and sinful women could find favor with God, that's not just grace. John Wesley's words, that is grace upon grace, exclamation point. And in fact, when we read our scripture here today from Ephesians chapter 2, 8, that was so short, it says these words, right? By grace, you have been saved through faith. In fact, if we're going to talk about God's grace and salvation and faith and what all these things mean, Understand this, that grace is the source of salvation, and faith is its condition. Now, John Wesley is going to share with us kind of three ideas. He's going to talk, first of all, about what it means to be. What is this faith that we're talking about? What does faith actually look like? Then he's going to go on and talk about what is salvation, actually? What are we referring to when we talk about salvation? And then finally, he's going to give some objections and answers to objections here today. Well, the first thing to think about is this faith. Let's talk about this faith here today. I want to think about this. When you think about faith, what are the things that come to mind? What does it mean to have faith in God? Or the faith, that is, that has salvation attached to it. Is it faith like other religions? Is it faith in the sense of just believing that there is a God? Or that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Or is it just that we understand that God wants human creatures to glorify God in some way, and so that's our rightful thing to do is render thanks and give praise to that God. Or is it just the practice of moral virtue and justice of being merciful and truthful to our fellow creatures? All religions give that. In fact, John Wesley would say even the heathens did that of the Romans or Greek pantheon or even the Scythians or Indians of his day. So those ideas of these attributes of the future state of reward and punishment, this obligatory nature of moral virtue, that's just the faith of anyone. And the faith we talk about is greater than that. Or maybe you would say, 
What is also this faith? It is not only that first one, it's also not the second one. And the second one is the faith of the devil, right? Because not only does the devil believe those very things that was in the first part of those who would be in other religions, but also the devil truly believes that Jesus is the Son of God and knows that through every fiber of its being. Not only does he know that Jesus Christ is not only wise and powerful, but he believes that this is truly God and trembles at his feet. In fact, this devil very clearly believes that God was made manifest in the flesh, that he's going to trample and tread all his enemies under his feet, and that all scripture was actually inspired by God. The devil believes those things, so that's not even the faith that we're talking about. Nor are we talking about even this faith, the faith of the disciples and the apostles before the resurrection. For even though they had surrendered their lives and had left all to follow him, even though they had given, given power to work miracles, even though they had authority over devils and demons, and even though they were sent to preach the kingdom of God even before the resurrection, they didn't fully quite have all the aspects of faith. And so when we talk about faith, we talk about something quite unique. And so what is it? What is this faith that we are actually, that leads to salvation? What is it? It is this, very simply, and then we'll explain more. It is faith in Christ. Christ and God through Christ. And what distinguishes already of that from other religions is the fact that it's in Christ, right? It's actually in Jesus Christ, and therefore it's distinguished. It's distinguished from the devil and the faith that the devil has because it's not merely speculative. It's not a rational thing. It's not a cold, lifeless ascent or a train of ideas in the head. It's also a disposition of the heart. It's not only this, but it goes even beyond that of the apostles' pre-resurrection and that faith truly acknowledges the necessity and merit of Christ's death and that the power of the resurrection is true, that his death is the only sufficient means of redeeming man from death eternal. And his resurrection is the restoration of all of us in life and immortality. And so we talk about this faith as not just an ascent to the whole gospel of Christ, it's the full reliance on the blood of Christ. It's the trust in the merits of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It's a recumbency upon him as our atonement in our life as given for us. He's living in us. And the consequences of therefore we close with him, as John Wesley would say, a closing with him and a cleaving to him. For he, in one word, is our salvation. So that's the faith. It's not just intellectual assent. It's not just any of those things. It's a deep trust of the heart and the acknowledgement of who Jesus is. But the second thing to consider is not only what is the faith that saves, but what does salvation even mean in the first place? And so when John Wesley talks of salvation, he wants to share a couple of different thoughts. First of all, when he reads scripture, he doesn't say that you shall one day be saved. He notices in scripture that it says you are saved. In other words, he wants you to understand that the, the salvation that comes is not just some one day in the sky kind of thing, but the salvation is here. Now, in this moment, is available to its fullest for you and for me and for any that would call upon through faith the grace of Christ. And so not only this, but it's not only a current reality that exists here in this moment. It's not something that we just only look forward to, but it's here right now in our lives. But also this idea that salvation, first of all, means the freedom of guilt. I know you've probably in your life you look back and you know you've made mistakes. 
Some of us may have mistakes that we look back on, and quite honestly, we're so ashamed, we wish they could just be kept in the closet and never open the door once again. How does one get past that guilt? One gets past that guilt because of salvation. Because salvation is not just the idea that we live eternally. Salvation is the freedom from guilt, that your guilt has been paid for by the very blood of Jesus Christ, that you are free, and free indeed, a new creature bought by the blood. And if you're saved by guilt, then guess what else you're saved by? You're saved from fear. In other words, you don't just acknowledge that God is master of the universe and is willing to mete out punishment and justice, and if you will, but that God has saved you. And in that sense, has replaced fear with understanding the love of God. And in fact, inside us cries the very spirit of Abba, that word that means just kind of daddy, if you will, inside us, that cries out to God because we know God not as this being of wrath, but this being as of an indulgent father who loves us, who cares for us. That inside our hearts, that we understand that neither death nor life, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But not only guilt and fear, the salvation that we talk about is also of sin. And what I mean by sin is not just the idea of guilt that comes from doing wrong, but that very idea that you and I are just born into a world full of sin and death. And that we, just by nature and just living in this world, have habits that are sinful to God and sinful to our fellow mankind, and that God is actually freeing us from this salvation, that we don't have to be in habitual sin. We can change our ways. That we are given power over sin itself. And not only the things that are habitual, but even when we come across that great deed or that great, great greed, that is, or that great lust in our life or great desire in our life to do sin and know the consequences of it, and our will would be there, we can actually choose not to. Or that any desire that just kind of pops into our head, that we are able to put it to death even before it would take root in our hearts. We have victory over sin through salvation in Christ. This salvation, as John Wesley would say, I would like to read some of his words. It's one way, he said, in one word you could express it as the word justification, which taken in its largest state implies a deliverance from guilt and punishment by the atonement of Christ. That's actually applied to the soul of the sinner now believing on him, and a deliverance from the power of sin through Christ formed in one's heart, so that one is justified or saved by faith, and is indeed born again, born again to the Spirit unto new life, and is hidden with Christ in God. As a newborn babe, he gladly receives the sincere milk, the word of God that grows thereby, and going on the might of the Lord of his God from faith to faith, from grace to grace, until length. He comes unto a perfect man, to the measure and statue of fullness of Christ. Of course, in this very moment, John Wesley didn't talk about eternity, but he means also eternity as he read these other scriptures. So if you're wondering if he also meant salvation and eternal life, he does mean that as well, even though he's not focusing on that here in his sermon. Now, if you go back to John Wesley's day, what's interesting, there were people who didn't really like this idea, right? And so John Wesley actually had to take some objections, if you will, and he he responds to those objections. And so here are some of the objections, and you can kind of put yourself back. And even though they sound funny maybe here today, you can think about what was at stake. And why John Wesley started with this sermon of all sermons 
and why it was so critical to him. First of the thing he wants to react to is that a lot of people would say, well, if you have justification only by faith, do you preach against good works? In other words, what's the point, right? Why do good works at all if you just have justification by faith? And John Wesley would say, you know what, that would be true if we're talking about a separate thing, but we talk about faith, which actually produces good works. In other words, the faith that we're talking about is not just what he's talked about so far, but also it leads to that repentant of the heart, that repentant of the heart that leads to the desire of doing love to one's good and one's neighbor and to do good works, not only to render God glory, but also to give goodness and love to fellow man. One of the things that people thought in his day was, well, do you not make the law a void? In other words, all these moral laws that you find in Scripture and the things that we're told to do and not do and all these things, does it just grace by faith and doesn't that just wipe all that out? And John Wesley would go on with Paul's thinking, and he basically said these words. He, he would say, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because it's much easier to say it this way, but basically, if you try to do the law and live by the law, you find you fail, right? That you can't do it on your own works. And in fact, in some ways, it, he reads it this way, it eats out the power and authority of the law. But if you're in faith, grace by faith, remember that penitent heart, that repentance that comes, that idea that good works flow out of that. The irony is that you actually have then the power to live and fulfill the law, and even greater to extent than the law was even written, the true law that is there beyond even the words that sometimes we read. That we actually not only establish the law, but we go to its full extent and its good works that it would have for us and the heavenly tempers that would be of the same mind of Jesus Christ. And one of the most weird ones that I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, some people accuse John Wesley of saying, well, if you preach this, people are going to be prideful, right? Which John Wesley goes on a big thing, but basically, just to get cut to the end of it, he basically says, what? <laughs> We're talking about no one can earn their way to heaven. No one can earn God's grace. No one can get that. How can you have pride in the first place? Is that not most the you know, most humbling thing you can possibly have? Is that one has to devoid all hope in oneself and cling to Jesus Christ. And so therefore, not only is it not even the fact that we would lead men into pride, very opposite, we would actually, for all the works and all our righteousness, which we're believing, is merited to God and not us. That God, even our good works that come out of us, are God's working inside of us. And even when we do good, we don't sit back and go, look at the awesomeness of how good I am. We look and we say, thank God that God took a sinner and changed him. And look what God is doing through the very work and through me and onto others. Now, some people may also object to the fact that, you know what? If you're freed by faith, doesn't that just encourage you to sin? Don't you just, by license, just grace abounds through sin. Why not just sin more so that grace may ever abound more, right? And of course, this is actually found in Scripture itself. And John Wesley would say, you know what? Unfortunately, this teaching will lead to people that do that. Indeed it does, and indeed it will from time on and time in. But he gives this warning. He says that their blood is on their hands and on their own head. For these very great acts of God should lead one to repentance and sincere heart. So if we lead to the opposite way, what grace can we find other than the punishment that we rightly deserve? And yet some in his day would also object, well, if he can only be saved by faith through the grace of God, doesn't that lead people to despair? 
In other words, where's the hope, John Wesley? And John Wesley would say, well, that's true, because there is no hope in yourself. And exactly that, your hope is in Christ, is in God, and what God is up to, and what God is doing, that he is our merit and our righteousness. And so we ought to trust in Christ and not our own work. And then some people in his day said, you know what, it's just uncomfortable. Right? And I think it's kind of odd. Today we're like, yeah, freedom, woo! But you know, in his day, people were very uncomfortable with this idea of, of this, and this scriptural finding that, of course, was taught throughout the ages of church. But he, he looks at that, he says, uncomfortable. In his very words, he says, here is comfort, high as heaven, stronger than death. What mercy for all? For Zacchaeus, a public robber? For Mary Magdalene, a common harlot? Methinks I hear one say, if that's the case, then even I, I, may hope for mercy. And so thou mayest, thou afflicted one, whom none had comforted. God will not only cast out, not, will not cast out thy prayer, that is. Nay, perhaps he may say this next hour, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. So forgiven that they shall reign over thee no longer, yea, that the Holy Spirit shall bow witness to thy spirit, that thou art a child of God. O glad tidings, tidings shall bear witness with thy spirit that thou art a child of God, and great joy, which are sent unto all people. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to ye the waters, come ye and buy without money and without price, whosoever your sins may be, though red like crimson. So more than the hairs of your head, return ye to the Lord, and he may have first mercy upon you. You are God. He will abundantly pardon you. Last of all, he addresses the fact that some people in his day just said, okay, if you're going to preach this, John Wesley, just don't make it the center of your, your preaching, right? Make it, make it something smaller. Or just don't preach at all. Just don't mention it. Just preach other things. In which John Wesley pretty much said, this is the root Salvation by faith is some of the root of Christianity. When you read the scriptures and understand what the apostles taught and understand of who we are, it is once established, it is the, the trunk of the tree that everything else flourishes from. But if you take it out, the whole house falls down. He says, give this up. This is what God had said and what had spoken to his people. This is the gospel message. Salvation through faith that it comes through grace. How dare we ever give it up? No, let's preach it. Let's preach it strongly. Let's preach it and bring it to the ends of the earth that all those from the very height of heaven to the depth of hell may hear the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Salvation by faith, we would go on to say, is almost like that idea that you and I are bound up in sin by this great big evil one. And yet we, being mere babes, with the triumphant cross, have victory over our opposition. In fact, as you hear these words here today, John Wesley would encourage you. Do you know this salvation in your heart? Is the faith that he talks about the faith that you have? Does it fall to one of these lesser categories and you realize today that you need to cling to the Lord in a deeper way once again? Sinners, God is for us. <laughs> Sinners, God is for us. And we're going to come to his table now, and it's going to be proven to us once again. 
But not only did he come to this earth, he let his body be broken, he let his blood be spilled for you and for us. Lord, as we come and hear these words of Wesley kind of retold once again, through many of his own words, but also through some of our modern day language. God, we pray that once again, as we're hearing this word, that Lord, we would have this faith that is talked about in Scripture, that was taught by the Apostle, and of course was taught by Jesus Christ himself. We pray, Lord, that not only would we have the faith that we would earn that earn, but we would get that salvation and attain that salvation which is graciously given to us. And that God, in these very things, we would remember you. Lord, as we come to this table, we come humbly but joyfully. You are our God. 